All right, greetings to all of our campuses, those at 15th Street and our West Campus and our Traditions venue. We are so glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Man, I, I love this church, and, uh, and I love all that God is doing here. Every week, I have the privilege of hearing stories, maybe through email or whatever, stories of lives being changed because of God's work through this church, through our compassionate service to the community, or through children's ministry, or youth ministry, or maybe Alpha, or through our e-groups or our worship services. I, I think of an email this, I just received this last week from a woman who shared about how uh, a few weeks ago she was in a service like this. And at the end of the service, we prayed for people that were wrestling with things. And so she had, had sat down to receive prayer and she was experiencing some debilitating anxiety in her life. Um, and so she, she told me in this email how after she was prayed for that God had freed her in a significant way from that. She hadn't been able to drive and now she's able to drive. And so she was just rejoicing in what God had done in her life through the ministry of this church. So it's awesome uh, to be a part of a church uh, like this. Now, having said that, uh, let, let me mention something to all of you who consider Christ community your church home. One of the reasons that kind of stuff can happen is because of your giving to our general fund. So many of you already do that, and we are so grateful. But I wanted to let you know that if for whatever reason our giving to the general fund, um, we don't want really know what's going on, but for whatever reason, our giving to the general fund has been a little slow this fall, and so we're behind in the budget that we as a congregation approved in July. So as your pastor, I just want to remind you that your faithful giving to this church matters. Everything that happens here is due to your generosity. So if for some reason you've fallen behind in your giving, or you've stopped giving, or have never really engaged in giving to your church ministry budget, I want to encourage you to seek the Lord about that. If you have any questions, you have any concerns about ministry stuff around here, please talk to me or, or Pastor Phil. We would love to dialogue with you. Again, your faithful gifts matter. They, they matter to God, Christ community community happens because of your generosity. So thank you for your investment in God's work here. Okay, well, we're in the midst of a teaching series entitled Life Inspired. In this series, we're talking about an incredibly important question. How do we live an inspired life? Rather than just going through the motions, feeling bored and unfulfilled, what would it look like to be awakened to joy and, and purpose and hope? What would it look like to not simply exist from day to day, but to actually live? Well, God tells us in his word, he shows us how we can live inspired lives. And so in this teaching series, we've been learning about three core elements to living a life inspired. First, we've learned that living a life inspired is found in embracing the gospel, continually living in the reality of all that Jesus has done for us. And second, we've, we've learned that life inspired is found in experiencing the spirit, experiencing this wonderful adventure of hearing the spirit's voice and praying for his power and being equipped for ministry and, 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 and being connected in community. Well, today, we're going to talk about a third core aspect of living a life inspired. I remember hearing author Tony Campolo talk about a, attending a Broadway play one evening. The play was The Man of La Mancha, an older play, Man of La Mancha. In this play, there is this very powerful song that the main character sings. And, and some of the lyrics of the song go this way. To dream the impossible dream... 
to fight the unbeatable foe, if you want to sing along, you can know, um, to bear with unbearable sorrow, to run where the brave dare not go. This is my quest, to follow that star. No matter how hopeless, no matter how far, to fight for the right without question or pause, to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. Powerful song. So as the song is being sung, Campolo heard the woman sitting right in front of him, loudly whispering to her husband, stop that, stop that, you're embarrassing me. When Campolo looked at the well-dressed, middle-aged man sitting next to her, he realized this man was weeping. He was sobbing uncontrollably. There was something in this man's heart that was stirred by those words. There was an unmet longing to live a life that matters, a life of courage and purpose, a life that is not afraid to dream. I believe that within the heart of every one of us, there is a similar longing. We, we want to make it, all of us, we want to make a difference. We want to know that our lives matter that they have a meaningful purpose. And yet, like the man in the theater that night, sometimes we struggle to find that, that purpose. We struggle to find that. Author Oz Guinness describes it this way. He writes, the trouble is that as modern people, we have too much to live with and too little to live for. Deep in our hearts, we all want to find and fulfill a purpose greater than ourselves. Only such a larger purpose can inspire us to heights we could never reach on our own. He is absolutely right. So where do we find that larger purpose that is greater than ourselves? Often we try to find this purpose. We try to find our significance in our own successes, in our own achievements, in our own possessions, which, which like the man in the theater still leaves us wanting. So where do we find a purpose greater than ourselves? Well, the Bible shows us. Rather than trying to write our own story of success and significance, God invites us to a very different pathway. God invites us to join in his story, to align our purposes with his to align our lives with the amazing story that God is writing in human history. When we do that, we find true significance and meaning. We, we begin to taste of a life inspired. Okay, so what is this grand story that God is writing? Well, the story is revealed to us in the Bible. Now, I realize that the Bible can sometimes feel pretty intimidating to understand because it contains the writings of different authors with different writing styles and different genres of writing from different cultures over several centuries. But the amazing thing is these 66 books in the Bible, together they tell one unified story. And if you understand that one story you see how everything fits into that, including you. So I want to take a few minutes here and share a bird's eye view, a synopsis of the story of the Bible, the entire Bible, this, this one story, the story of God's activity, so that all of us here can discover our purpose in that amazing story. In this story, there are four Parts. There are four critically important sections that give us a framework for understanding God's purposes. Part one is creation. 
creation. In order for us to understand our, our purpose, we must begin with this foundational reality. We are created beings. The Bible establishes this truth with its first few words. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We are created by a personal creator. Because of that, we have a purpose. We have a design. We have significance. I mean, the the Bible asserts that we are not here by accident. We are not the product of millions of random mutations that begin with the accidental formation of a living cell in some primordial soup. No, no, no. The Bible declares that we are created by God. We are created in his image. And because of that, we have significance. Every human being has significance, has value. From the most productive and intelligent to the most vulnerable and weak, including those tiny fetuses in their mother's womb, every human being has value from the moment of conception. We are created by God, and because of that, we have a purpose. Now, that purpose is all about relationship. Adam and Eve enjoyed a perfect relationship with God. And, and, and they enjoyed a perfect, harmonious relationship with each other. And there, there was also perfect relational harmony with, with, with cre- their, the creation. There was no disease. There was no sickness. There was no violence, no evil, no self-centeredness, no injustice, no wars or conflicts, no death. This is God's heart. This is his original design for humanity. Our purpose is to enjoy a good and loving relationship with him, to enjoy good and loving relationships with others, and to enjoy creation. Unfortunately, this perfect environment didn't continue, which leads to part two of God's story, the fall. The fall. This perfect environment was based upon trust, As long as Adam and Eve trusted in their their loving creator, all was well. They would enjoy this perfect relational experience. But unfortunately, they thought they knew better than God. They chose to listen to a lie, and they decided that God couldn't be trusted. So they rebelled against him. And all hell broke loose, figuratively and literally. Suddenly, into this perfect environment, into this place of relational wholeness and health, an insidious virus was released. The virus of sin. Sin, at its core, is to live with self at the center of our lives rather than God. This virus permeated humanity with far-reaching consequences. For one thing, it damaged Adam and Eve's relationship with God. God had to remove them from the Garden of Eden. Their intimate fellowship with him was broken. Not only that, Adam and Eve's relationship with each other was damaged by sin. They immediately hid from each other. They blamed each other. I mean, from that moment on, conflict became a part of humanity's story. Power struggles, wars, violence, abuse, injustice, oppression, divorce, disease, death. All of this was now unleashed Because of sin. Sin became a part of our DNA as humans. We are now separated from a relationship with God because of our sin. Sin has damaged our relationships with others. I mean, our world is a picture of the chaos that sin brings. There is no question that something is wrong with us. 
Something is wrong in this world and we can't fix it. We can't fix it. Sin has totally destroyed our capacity to walk in God's original and good purposes. And because of that, we are unable to experience significance and purpose and meaning. It's out of our reach. It's out of our grasp. By the end of part two in this story, things look pretty bleak. They look hopeless for us. But God is not done writing his story, which leads to part three. Redemption. Redemption. We as humans were unable to save ourselves, unable to fix our situation. So God, our creator, did something absolutely undeserved, something absolutely amazing. He sent his son to earth to rescue us. Now, how could God rescue us from the damage of sin? How could he do that? It wouldn't help for him just to send someone to give us more rules to follow. That wouldn't work. More pep talks to to live a better life. No, no, no. What we needed was a way to have our hearts changed so that sin would no longer rule us. We needed to be set free from the, the penalty and the power of sin. And this is why Jesus had to die on the cross and rise from the dead. By dying on the cross, Jesus paid sin's penalty for us. He died in our place. He took the penalty of separation and judgment that we deserved. He took that upon himself. And then he rose from the dead and he poured out his spirit so that we could not only have our sins forgiven, we could also experience new life a new heart, a new power to love people and and forgive those who hurt us, a new joy, a new peace, because our relationship with God is, is restored. So whereas before sin was our master, now we have a new master, a loving, gracious, heavenly father who adopts us into his family and he fills us with his spirit and he enables us to walk in new life. It's amazing. So, so how do we experience this rescue, this, this redemption? Well, two things are required, repentance and faith. Repentance, admitting our need, admitting our sinfulness, and faith, placing our trust in Jesus' work. When we repent of our sin and we place our trust in Jesus, at that moment, this broken relationship with God is now restored. We are welcomed back into intimacy with him like Adam and Eve originally had in the garden. This is so cool. I mean, this relationship with God that had been broken is now restored. Suddenly, we are able to reconnect with our significance as humans. We are once again in in relationship with the God who created us. Now, here's the problem. For a lot of Christians, this is where their story with God ends. Right here. They know Jesus died for them. They've placed their trust in him. And have received his forgiveness. They know they're going to heaven. End of story. That's taken care of. I have assurance of salvation. Going to heaven. End of story. But it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story that God is writing. There is more. Way more. And if we never get to part four of the story, we miss out on on, on finding life's purpose and meaning. We miss out on the true purpose of redemption. You see, why did God save us? Why did he rescue us? Yes, it was for a restored relationship with him, but it was also for so much more than that, which leads to part four of God's story. Restoration. 
restoration. God is not simply interested in saving us from our sins. His plan is about restoring this world to its original design. His plan is about reversing the effects of sin and violence and evil and conflict. He wants to bring restoration to people's lives and to societies and to nations. So what is his plan to bring restoration? What is his plan to reverse the effects of the curse? Well, Jesus told us. It's amazing, actually. One day, he was with his disciples, and they were in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and he asked them this question. He said, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Verse 16 of Matthew 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is amazing what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is describing his plan for restoring what sin has stolen in people's lives. Notice what is at the heart of his plan. The church. The church. Jesus declares, I will build my church. The Greek word used here, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's the word ekklesia, which speaks not of a physical building, but rather a gathering of people. See, Jesus is saying that his purposes, his plan of restoration is going to be accomplished through this gathering of his followers known as the church. Now, I know, I know a lot of people are kind of down on the church, critical of the church, and and don't want to be a part of organized religion. I get all that. I realize the church is far from perfect, but we dare not miss what Jesus himself says about the importance of the church in his plans. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, for years... For years, I thought Jesus was describing how the church is hunkered down behind its walls and the power, uh, the powers of hell are coming against it, right? But they won't be able to tear our gates down. That's what I thought Jesus was describing, but that's not what he says. He says the gates of hell. Hell is the one with the gates, We're not the one with the gates. Hell is the one with the gates. We're the army moving forward against those gates. In other words, we are not on the defensive, hunkered down, hoping to survive. No, we are advancing against the gates of hell, and they don't have a chance. They don't have a chance, and here's why. Jesus says here, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Keys speak of identity, right? Uh, Excuse me, of authority, opening doors, 
authority to open doors. Jesus is saying that he has given us, his followers, the authority to continue his mission of bringing his kingdom to earth. Now, sometimes when we hear the word kingdom, it gets sort of off in our brains in terms of what that refers to. We, we need to just remember, when Jesus talks about kingdom... When he talks about his kingdom, we know from his ministry and his teaching that his kingdom is not about bringing a military kingdom, a force. It's a kingdom of love and sacrifice and compassion and truth and, and healing. Jesus is saying to us, his church, I have given you the means of restoring what the enemy has taken in the lives of the people around you. In other words, you are God's restoration plan. You are God's restoration plan. If you are a Christian, you are a part of God's restoration team. This is your purpose. This is your purpose. This is why you are here on this earth. God is calling you and me to be a part of his plan to restore the brokenness that sin has caused to help reverse the effects of the fall, to bring healing and hope and life to people through Jesus. I mean, talk about an inspiring purpose, a purpose that is greater than ourselves. Here it is. That's exactly what this is. You are called by God to make a difference in the lives of people around you at school at work, in your neighborhood, in your family. Now, we have a particular phrase that we use around here to describe this, and it's the third core piece of living a life inspired. We talked earlier about the importance of embracing the gospel and experiencing the spirit. Well, the third critical part of living a life inspired is found in engaging in mission. Engaging in in mission. The word mission, and I know sometimes we, we freak out about that word, but here's how we define mission around here. The word mission means moving towards lost, hurting people with the love and truth of Jesus. That's mission. It's moving towards lost, hurting, broken people with the love and the truth of Jesus. That's what we're called to be about. God calls us to be a part of his story by engaging in mission, demonstrating his compassion, sharing his love anywhere we see the effects and brokenness of sin around us. That's our calling. Anywhere we see the effects of sin and brokenness around us, we are called to bring his love, to demonstrate his compassion. And the cool thing is, you have everything you need to do this. You have everything you need to do this. For one thing, you have the Holy Spirit inside you who gives you the power to love people when you don't think you can, who gives you the courage to reach out and, and care for them in the midst of distress and pain. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. Not only that, you have the gospel message. You have the gospel message, a message that will change their lives. It will change their lives. Now, you may be thinking, I don't, I don't, yeah, I know the gospel. I, I just don't know how to share the gospel. You know, I just, I don't know exactly what the gospel message is. I don't know how to share it with someone. You do now. You do now. I just described the gospel. 
in four simple parts. In fact, say them with me here, okay? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. One more time. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the gospel. That's God's story. The entire Bible shortened to four words, and you know them. You know this story. You can share. You can share the gospel with people around you who are needing to hear this good news. You can tell them, first of all, they're created by God for a purpose, creation. But their sin separates them from that purpose, fault, which is why Jesus died on the cross for them, redemption. And when they place their trust in him, not only do they experience forgiveness, they also become a part of God's restoration team, the church, sent out to bring Jesus' love to those around them. That's the story God is writing, and that's a story you can share. You can share that story. You can share that good news with others. You can do that. You can say, you know, has anyone ever explained to you the story of the Bible, the story God's writing, and how you might fit into that? Any of us here, all of us here can share that. We know the story now. So in order to engage in mission, we have the spirit filling us, which is really, really cool, really important. And we have the gospel message to share. But there is one other piece of this engaging in mission that we have. We have each other. We have each other. Remember, this mission Jesus is calling us to is not an isolated mission. No, it's, it's a mission that is to happen in community, right? Ecclesia. It's to happen in community. It's to happen through the church. We are not alone in this mission. We are together in it. And there's strength in numbers, right? There's camaraderie in numbers. This is one reason that I am so, one of the many reasons, I am so excited about our vision for e-groups that we've been talking about for a few weeks here. I shared the vision a couple weeks ago. But the term e-group, e, comes from the three action words we've been talking about to live a life inspired. Embrace the gospel, experience the spirit, engage in mission. Every e-group is together seeking to live out those three things, those three core elements, including this engagement in mission. Every e-group will be praying about how they can together be a part of God's restoration plan on this broken planet. What is God calling them to do? And they're together just trying to figure that out. Let's pray about it. Let's try to figure out what's God calling our group to do. It could be coming alongside a family in our city that's in need. It could be seeking ways to bless an entire neighborhood or to bless the teachers at a, at a particular school or to bless, bless law enforcement personnel. It could, it could mean doing a, a Samaritan's Purse shoebox, um, uh, getting those together as a group this November. It could mean going out on a Friday night looking for homeless people and offering them a blanket and, and, and praying for them. I mean, right now, we have an e-group that's forming for caregivers of adults with disabilities. And this e-group is just going to be offering community for those who often feel alone and exhausted in that caregiving responsibility. So we have a, we have a, a couple that's forming an e-group for caregivers. 
our e-group is, is um, putting on a parenting class. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. We're putting on a parenting class at the Rodarte Center. Um, and and it's, it's been cool to see how everyone in the group is working together to make this happen. Some people are facilitating. Some are bringing food. And, I mean, the, the sky's the limit. I mean, really, the sky's the limit. Every group can prayerfully determine what that will look like for them. So imagine the impact and imagine the impact of hundreds of these groups engaging in mission for the city. Imagine that. I mean, the love and compassion and generosity demonstrated. And imagine the spiritual growth that will happen in us, right? In, 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 in an e-group as they're moving together in mission. I mean, it's, it not only impacts others, it impacts us. Now, let me be clear here that there will still be church-wide outreaches that we as an entire church are going to leverage our, you know, all of us and, and do together. Things like ShareFest or, or a Christmas catalog where, where we as a church are joining together in, in, in a particular mission focus. And this, this is very much who we are. We're not stopping that. It's very much who we are. But in addition to that, we also want to be moving forward in mission through our e-groups, through these smaller, they're like house churches, these smaller communities. Now, you may think, I don't know about this mission stuff. You know, that sounds a little scary. I agree. I'm sorry. I'm not going to let you off the hook. I totally agree. Um, um, it, it definitely takes us out of our comfort zones. But isn't that what following Jesus is about? Right? Isn't that what growing as disciples is about? It's about moving out of our comfort zones, right? To follow him. And, and we get to do it in community. I mean, Jesus invites us. Following Jesus, he invites us to live a life inspired. A life where, where we find our ultimate purpose in his purposes. And all of us here get to be a part of that. All of us get to be a part of that. I just got an email from a person, another story, like I was telling you about earlier, but uh, another story. But here's a person in an e-group sharing about their group's mission. And so listen, listen to this. Hi, Alan. I thought you might enjoy um, hearing about an already existing e-group, the Prayer Shawl Ministry at Christ Community. We have been together for almost 10 years and have used our love of knitting and crocheting to bless in a unique way. We have made hundreds, perhaps thousands of caps and scarves that have been distributed to local school children through Kids Hope. Kids Hope is our tutoring ministry. Our prayer shawls are made with love and prayer for each recipient as only God knows his or her name and situation. Baby blankets are also on our list and go to Mops families as well as some new moms at the Global Refugee Center here in Greeley. Small crocheted crosses have been made as bookmarks for Bibles and have been used as gifts for translators on Christ community mission trips in remote places. Necklaces have been fashioned for and given to women on parole last November right here in Greeley. The prayer shawls have gone all over the world to our Gospel Unleashed partners and outreaches, including the Atulia Home in Delhi, which um, this is a side note here. The Atulia Home is a shelter we, we support as a church. It's a shelter for women who have been abused and trafficked in, in Delhi. It's a powerful ministry. So these shawls have been lovingly and prayerfully placed on the shoulders of 
these girls, surrounding these girls. The Girls Rescue Center in Kenya also has received these shawls. Um, and I've been there, actually. I traveled there and uh, was a part of watching these women, these girls who had been rescued from trafficking, watch them be surrounded by just a small team of, of people praying for them and given each one of them given a shawl. It wraps, just wraps around them and a tangible symbol of Christ's love for them. I was there just watching the tears flow and the love being poured out. She continues here. Sorry, I'm getting kind of caught up in the story, but, but uh, she continues. These shawls have lovingly and prayerfully been placed on the shoulders of school board members and hospital patients right here in our own town. Just last week, she writes, we sent 27 gorgeous and warm prayer shawls to Natasha Hurt and the Love Made Claim Ministry for distribution at Christmas to women in our community who are trapped in sex trafficking. And then she adds this, awesome and deep friendships have resulted as we have spent time together doing what we love to do and having way too much fun at it. We have prayed for each other as crises have arisen and have been that support and connection that we all desperately needed. Many have rearranged work schedules and delayed vacations just to be able to meet twice a month. It has become that important to us. And then she says this, the real kicker is that the yarn we use is old yard sale donated yarn that no one has use for anymore. How like our God to make something beautiful out of castoffs. And it is our privilege to be a part of what He wants done in the world. Isn't that an awesome picture of how God wants to use us to be a part of His restoration plan to impact our world, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are? No matter what talents and skills you have, no matter how hard or messed up your journey has been, God wants you to know that you have a purpose in him. Your life has meaning, and that meaning is found in choosing, by choosing to be a part of God's story. Rather than trying to build your own story and significance and success, and all, choosing to be a part of God's story, bringing hope and light to this broken world all around us. The gates of hell are not able to withstand all that God wants to do through his people. Are you in? <laughs> Let's pray together. God, thank you for this incredible story that you are writing. This amazing story of being created in your image and yet having our DNA tainted by sin and we can't help ourselves. We just live with self at the center and that separates us from that original design. And yet we thank you too for the third part of this story that we couldn't do anything to get to you, but you came to us. You sent your son Jesus to rescue us, paying the penalty for our sin. by dying on a cross and that you call us to join your restoration team. In fact, we're enlisted. This is our purpose 
It's being a part of your team to restore what has been broken and damaged by sin. Thank you for that story. And I want to just, first of all, begin here with um, this prayer time with an invitation. There may be some of you here and you realize you are not a part of that story. And the way we miss this story is by trying, it's the third part. We realize we're created and, and, uh, and maybe that we're kind of messed up. But what we try to do is fix ourselves. We try to make ourselves better. We try to earn our own way to God. And we miss God's plan because we can't earn our own way. We can't fix what's broken. Only Jesus can. And there are some of you here and what you need right now is Jesus. You need to place your trust in him. Admit your sin, place your trust in him and enter into God's story and enter into his love for you and his forgiveness of your sins. So if that's you, you're not certain you're a part of God's story, I want to lead you in a prayer right now where you can step into this story through the work of Christ. So if this is you, just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are Holy, you are creator. And even though I'm created in your image, I also acknowledge that I am a sinner. I'm self-centered to the core. And because of that, I'm separated from you, from a relationship with you. But I don't want to be separated. I want to be in a relationship with you. And I realize that I can't do anything to fix this. No matter how hard I try to be good and to go to church and all that, I can't bridge this gap. But you did something. You came to me. You sent your son Jesus on a rescue mission. And Jesus, you gave your life on a cross. You paid the penalty that I should have paid, that I deserved to pay. You took the judgment I deserved on yourself. And you didn't even deserve to do that. But you did it because you love me. And I choose right now to place my trust in you, Jesus, my faith in you. I bring you my questions and my doubts and fears and faults and sins and all of me. I just place them on your shoulders. And I now receive your life. Forgive my sin, past, present, and the sins I haven't even committed yet. Forgive them all by your precious blood. And now come live in me through the presence of your spirit. Change me from the inside out. God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Thank you that they are now a part of your story. Help them grow in this relationship and grow in their sense of meaning and purpose as a part of your restoration team to bring this good news to others. And I want to pray for all of us here. We know we're created. We know we're sinners. We placed our trust in Jesus. But are we embracing part four of God's story? Do we realize we are his restoration team at the school we attend, in the neighborhood we live in, in the place we work? That We're a part of his team to restore what sin and what the enemy has stolen. So God, I pray for that. Our hearts would be quickened. Our hearts would be filled with this joyful reality that all of us here have a purpose. 
We have meaning. And, and Lord, I want to pray. I just sense there are some people here that they don't feel like they have a purpose. They feel hopeless. Maybe even have thought of taking their lives. God, I pray you would, you would silence the lies of the enemy that whisper to us, we don't have value, we don't have purpose. Silence those lies. And I pray right now you would bring truth, Holy Spirit, that each one of us here has a purpose. And maybe that purpose is just to love on a neighbor who lives next door to us or like a grandchild that's being neglected or who knows what that purpose is. But there's a purpose for every one of, it, one of us to be a part of your team to restore what sin is destroying. And so we thank you for enlisting us in this and calling us to this amazing privilege. And now we ask you to fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us with eyes to see and, and, and hearts to be broken and the courage to move towards lost people and, and the courage to share this good news. That we would be a part of your team. And I pray for e-groups as the, some e-groups are just trying to prayerfully determine, okay, what is our mission? What are we going to do together? I pray you would speak to them and meet them there and lead them. And Lord, we pray for the impact to multiply as hundreds of these groups are moving together in mission for the city and beyond that. So we, we thank you for that. We love you, God. We love you, Lord. Thanks for the opportunity now to respond to this incredible story with worship, just to offer our hearts to you in praise. We're so grateful. We're so grateful. So why don't we stand? Whatever campus you're at here, please stand. And let's, let's worship Jesus. Set us free to worship you, Lord.